0: emphasize is they would repeat things remember when Jesus would teach and he would say truly truly I say to you what he was saying is listen this is really important there's one attribute of God that's repeated three times in multiple places and that's holy 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 the song that we sang at the beginning of the service is comes from the fact that uh, that's what's being sung about God and to God eternally throughout history by the, by the all the living creatures in, in heaven. In fact, when I, when I grew up, when I was in elementary school, the church that we attended uh, was, was a big stone, a real cathedral type of uh, structure. And, when, and we would, it seems like we would sing holy, holy, holy all the time. That's the one I remembered. And with the big pipe organ, it just rang through the stones, this high, majestic song. And that's the one thing I remember uh, that, that, that I came away with, was with, that that song always stuck with me. But I never had any idea what holy meant. Our kids up here were on top of it. They, they, they actually had a handle on it, and, and Bob did a great job explaining it to them. But we we want to hear... And look at this morning, what what does holy mean and and what does it mean to us? So read with me if you will. I'm going to be reading in Isaiah chapter 6. I'll read verses 1 through 8. Hear the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. When it's got an IM at the end of the word, that means it's portals. These are the seraphs. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. You've heard from the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to help impress on our hearts what he has said. Father, As we come before this momentous passage this morning, we ask that you would teach us by your spirit, that you would, uh, in a sense, by your spirit, bring us into your throne room, that we would gaze uh, upon your holiness and know know it, know you as, as holy. Have your way with us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting Throughout the Old Testament, it speaks of God's name, and you think of it, talking about God's holy name. It actually uses the, the adjective holy with God's name more than all the other adjectives combined. So the, as, as we wrap up the attributes of God, in some ways we could have kicked off the attributes of God by talking about his holiness, because it's as it's, it's deeply the heart and the essence of who God is, that, that he's holy. Holy. So this morning again we're going to look at what does holy mean and then what does it mean for us how does that impact us. And if you start in verse 1 of this passage when I, Isaiah says in the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. When he's on this throne it tells us he's telling us that God is ruling. Okay, God is reigning over everything and it's a high and lifted up throne which tells you that he's, he's the highest reigning one. He's the God above all gods and the king above all kings and that there's a, a stature and a power as the highest authority and it's set in contrast to King Uzziah. Now, when, when he's writing here in the 8th in the century, it says it's the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been the king for 52 years. Okay, we, we get to turn over presidents at least every four years, maybe every eight years. We turn over a governor every four years. We have, we have turnover in our leaders, thank God. <laughs> but when you have a king, the king is, well, let me think of Queen Elizabeth, how long she's been queen. But Queen Elizabeth really has a, has a parliament and she's more of just a figurehead. When you're the king of Israel, you are the king. And Uzziah had been the king and he'd been one of the, the few good kings in the history of Israel and Judah, the king of of Judah. He he became king when he was 16 years old. The prophet Zechariah was his mentor, and so he followed the Lord, and he he cleared out the the high places. And he he led well for many, many years, and and again, he's characterized as a good king. And yet, you know what they say, Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And eventually he reached a point where one day, later on in his reign, about 40 years into it, he decided he wanted to honor God, he was worshiping God, but he took incense into the temple. And the high priest aghast at this because only God, God doesn't allow anybody in the temple except for priests, and that includes the king, even the king of Israel, They had a separation of powers. And the the high priest brought 70 other priests and they tried to stop Uzziah from going in. And he got mad and he just pushed his way on through. Now he's offering incense to God. You're thinking, hey, I'm worshiping God. Let me do it the way I want. But he ignored God's design and God's priests and God struck him with leprosy. And he spent the last eight years in leprosy, which meant... He could have contact with no one. Here he's supposed to be the king, the ruler. And he lived in utter shame, cast out. And yet for the people, he, for, you know, for most people, when you've been king for 52 years, there aren't that many people who remember living in England before Elizabeth was queen, right? Well, that's, that's the way it was with Uzziah. He was the king, and, and now he was dead. In fact, up in Assyria, who's one of the biggest threats, Tiglath-Pileser, had arisen and become king and, and he was a a serious threat to Israel. And now their king's gone. They're thinking, what's gonna happen? So God took his prophet Isaiah and he brought him into the throne room and reminded him who's really king. Uzziah, Uzziah was just there to represent God to the people. The point is, God is on the throne. He's never off the throne. He's always ruling. We've, been, we've looked at his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. We've talked about his eternality, that every second of every moment for all, all of eternity, outside of time, God stands as the ruler. And that's what he's bringing home here. You, you never make God king. You never make God lord of your life. Okay. He is king. He is the Lord. And, and really, all, all, all we do is we acknowledge, we, we recognize what's there, we acknowledge and, and bow in submission to him. Or we just live in rebellion against his, his rulership. And those are the two postures we can have. There's no in-between. And so the first thing he shows is that he's, he's on the throne and he's high and he's lifted up. And then it tells us that the train of his robe Filled the temple. Now, again, we don't have, you know, our, our presidents wear suits when they get, when they're out in public and when they are, are inaugurated. A king, king wore, kings wore robes. And the bigger, more powerful, more majestic you were as a king, the bigger the robe you had. And the train is what follows behind the robe. We've had a lot of weddings in this building. And the, as the br- bride and the groom, stand at the bottom as they, as they walk up the steps. What's one of the main jobs of the maid of honor is of course to come behind and take her train, which drags on the ground behind, and to put it behind her. And then when she gets to the top, when she turns around ready to head out after they've been pronounced man and wife, is to bring the train around. She doesn't trip on it on her way out as she goes down the steps. And I've seen some pretty long wedding trains. You watch the royal weddings. They have longer trains, right? Because they're royal. God's train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, imagine that the, the church where Tim and I were uh, previously, we, we wore ministerial robes. And we, we didn't have a train, they just came down to our feet. Uh, <clears throat> but imagine if this, I mean, what would it be like to fill just this room? That's a big train. And the train tells you how majestic and how powerful they are. That tells us about God. It, it, remember Tim preached last week on God's omnipresence? Okay. His robe, his reign, his royalty, his omnipresent. It filled the temple. So in, in this, we, we see this aspect that, uh, as Bob was talking with the children, one of them mentioned, what does holy mean? It means to be set apart. So one aspect of what it is to be holy is for God to be set apart. Just like we read about how God would tell them to set apart certain objects for worship. Some of the, the bowls that were in the temple were considered holy. Now they were bowls, and they were covered with gold, but what made them holy is they were set apart from common purposes. You know when you read the word profane? Profane means common, just everyday bowls, like you eat your cereal or soup in These were holy bowls, they were sacred, they were set apart for God. That's what caused them to be set apart. People were holy because they were set apart for the Lord. They were set apart to be special for him. God is set apart because it means he has no equals. In fact, what it means is, basically, the heart of what it is for God to be holy is that God is God. That's one of the things I love about this this, banner with the first part of Psalm 100 at the bottom, where it says, know that the Lord, he is God. And 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 of course we're we're not. So the the, this idea the first part of what it means to be holy is that God's set apart. But we go on to to read that in verse two that says above him stood the seraphim or the seraphs. Seraph meant the burning ones or the fiery ones. It doesn't describe them any more than telling us that they have six wings, but the name is descriptive. There's something that was on fire. And remember, God in his, holy, in his glory and his holiness shined. And it says as they had six wings, and with two of them they covered their, his face, the seraph. Why? Because God in his glory is beautiful. Remember what happened when Moses came down from the mountain? When Moses went up and God gave him the Ten Commandments and he wrote it on the tablets and what came down? What was true about Moses? His face glowed. It was so awesome that the people told Moses to put on a veil to cover it up because they couldn't handle how bright it was and that was merely reflective glory for what God's glory was like. In in his holiness. The seraph couldn't even look on God. I mean, remember when Moses asked to see God's glory and God said, you can't do that. You can see my backside, but you can't see my glory and live because of how holy I am. Well, in the same way, the seraph couldn't see God's glory and they weren't even sinful creatures. You know how Bob showed the kids with the, with the water? That's absolutely true. But the seraphs couldn't even look on God because he's that glorious and that bright and that holy. And they, they, they weren't even tainted, tainted with sin. That, that it tells you how holy holy is. Okay, how set apart, how, how bright and shiny God was. Remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he was transfigured to be who he is in his glory, and Peter, James, and John fell down as though dead because they saw his glory, and it was too bright beyond what they could handle. There's no sense of these seraphs of familiarity breeding contempt. Do you think they're in eternity with God, before God, worshiping him, and eventually it's like, yeah, yeah, that's God. I remember I mentioned several weeks ago how when Margaret and I were in Rome, we were staying right near the Colosseum. We kept going by the Colosseum. So by the third day, it's like, yeah, 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 that's the Colosseum. Okay. The seraphs weren't like that with God. Because notice what it says in Revelation 4. This is at the end. It says the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. So they may have represented seraphim. We don't know. Are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In other words, God is so holy that they could not keep from just declaring that God is holy, holy, holy. Never got tired of saying it because that was what was descriptive. They just looked at God and their first response was, "Holy, holy, holy," the Lord God Almighty. And they they looked down from another angle, "Holy, holy, holy," is the Lord God Almighty. We're to walk. we intended to walk away from the sense of Him being, being holy. It also says with with two wings they covered their feet, that they were creatures in the presence of the Creator. And the feet were, were part of their creativeness. They just don't, I mean, these seraphs didn't feel worthy in the sight of God. They had to cover up. And they weren't even sinful. Not even, not even a speck. Had never, had never experienced sin. But, notice how Isaiah responds. Who? May have been the holiest man in Israel. Okay, he was one of the good prophets. He was a good guy. But it says in verse 5, And I said, when he saw who God was, and he saw all that was going on, he said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen, seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Delitzsch says that Israel knew you could not look on God and live. And Israel, I mean Isaiah rather, just just looked at God. But but on top, of when he says, woe is me, woe was was the prophetic curse. When you read the prophets and they'd say, woe to Syria, woe to Ammon. You remember Jesus said, woe to the Pharisees. He ran through a list of seven woes to the Pharisees. Those are curses. Those are saying, you are cursed by God. Isaiah is a prophet for God, and who does he curse? He curses himself. He says, woe. Woe is me. He says, "I'm, I'm, I'm toast. I'm in big trouble. Because, not just because I've seen God, but what does he say? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Wait Jesus would say much later that one day, every person in all of history will all stand before God and will give account of every word that's come out of our lips. And He said, "What comes out of our mouths reveals what's in our hearts. They're not provoked. <laughs> The, the product, you've heard me say it, if you take a lemon and you cut the lemon in half and then you squeeze it, what comes out of the lemon? Juice. What's the juice like? It's sour. Is it sour because you squeeze the lemon? No. The juice of the lemon is sour because the lemon's sour. So when the words come out of our mouth, it's not because we've been squeezed by somebody or bothered by somebody, it's because that's what our hearts are like. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That just just like Uzziah, who had started to slip in his later years, Israel was slipping in their later years. Isaiah, who was the holiest man in the kingdom, all of a sudden he realizes who God is. And when he realizes who God is, for the first time down deep, he realized who he was. And has cut him to the quick. And he says, "Who am I, and what am I doing here?" Many of you know Chuck Colson, and who was a tough Marine and a lawyer and a hatchet man, of course, for Richard Nixon. uh, Went to prison for it, and as he was in prison, he was converted. He became a Christian. And after he got out of prison, as he was uh, growing in the Lord, somebody told him, you need to, to hear this, this lecture by uh, R.C. Sproul on the holiness of God. And he was like, you know, I don't need to listen to some theologian, man, I don't need to mess with all that. But he listened to it, and he said, hearing the description of who God is and his holiness just plunged him to a whole new depth of life of what it meant to live before God. It changed everything. In fact, he, he. when I finished my internship up in Northern Virginia and I didn't have a call yet to another church, I did some work at the Prison Fellowship Headquarters in Reston and they had the entire Ligonier Library with all the lectures that R.C. Sproul ever did, ever did on, on cassette tape, it was a long time ago, uh, <laughs> in, their, in their resource center and I was just uh, doing data entry so I would listen to that eight hours a day. But it was there because After Chuck Colson heard that that first talk, he just loaded up and and spent time uh, with R.C. to to teach him more and more about God, that God is holy. See, Isaiah is devastated when he says, woe is me. R.C. Sproul points out that Calvin wrote that, he said, the uniform response in the Bible of every person who comes in contact with God's holiness is that they tremble. They tremble to the core. And, I mean, Job was righteous. And yet when God sent all the, uh, allowed Satan to bring all those calamities upon him, and Job was going back and forth with his friends, he finally started reaching the point where he said, look, let me, go, let me sit down with God and talk with God. And I, you know, I'll show up. I'll show, he knows. I can show you that I didn't do anything wrong. And then God shows up. And God speaks to Job, if you've never read it, you've got to read those chapters 40 to 42. At the end of it, Job says, I stand here and I shut my mouth and I can't believe I ever said what I said. Moses, before God, he said, take off your shoes at the burning bush for you're on holy ground. Habakkuk, the prophet, Frustrated all the evil going on in, in Judah, in God's people. He said, I'm going to climb to the tower and sp- speak to God. When God spoke. Whoops, oh, great, I had it marked. Uh, Habakkuk said, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble. Isaiah trembled. John, in the New Testament, you may may have heard or, or you think, oh, well, it's just the Old Testament God. He's like that. John, the Apostle John, the one who characterized himself as the one... Beloved by Jesus. He knew if there's anybody who had his identity set and who he was in Jesus, it was the Apostle John. And yet in the first chapter of, his, of the, the letter of Revelation, when he sees Jesus in his glory, he falls on his face as though dead. Every single person falls down before him. Motier says that the fear of God is not about his power. It's about his moral purity. He's not only set apart in grandeur, greatness, and majesty, but in his purity, in his absolute, utter absence of, of sin and corruption. So on the one hand, holy means that he's set apart. On the other hand, it also means that he's utterly pure in a way that not only sets back sinful men, like we just described, but, but even the seraphs, unsinful creatures. I mean, Peter, what happens to Peter. He, he, he invites Jesus, Jesus asks if he can use his boat to preach to this big crowd on the shore, and after he finishes preaching, he turns to Peter, who's a professional fisherman, and hadn't caught anything that day, so he knew there was nothing out there, and Jesus said, let's go, let's go out and fish. Peter rolls his eyes, he says, throw your net in the water, and Peter says, we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do it. I mean, I, I, I believe there's got to be, there was some sarcasm in Peter's voice, in his voice, and he throws in the net, and what happens? He catches so many fish, the nets start to break, and he calls to his uh, business partners with their boat that's on the shore, and he says, y'all get on out here, and they got out there, and they put out their net, and their net filled so with so many fish, it started to break. All this time he elapsed, and all of a sudden, it strikes Peter what just happened. You'd think Peter would be just thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, I've got a, fish, I've got a fish-catching factory. I've just hit the mother load. I'm about to be a rich fisherman. How much money I can give to the synagogue. But no. What does Peter say? He says he turns to Jesus. And he says, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man. Why? Because he realized Jesus is holy. That he's God. In fact, John, when he writes... The Gospel, in, in chapter 12, he, he quotes from Isaiah 6, a couple of verses after what we read, and then he says, "Isaiah said these things because he saw His glory and spoke of him. And when John's referring to his glory, he's talking about Jesus. In other words, John is telling you that Isaiah 6 is about Jesus sitting on the throne. That's Jesus' glory, and Jesus is that holy. What do you do with God's holiness? You know, this is, I guess we just kind of move into the second part. What does it mean for us? First part is do you, do you think about God being holy? Does that enter into your processing of who God is? It's, it's the most prominent characteristic of who He is. We need to see everything through the lens of God being holy. You know, when I, when I come to worship, I need to think, I'm coming before a holy God. Now, you can follow the line of Frank Baum, who wrote, the wizard of Oz, and say, well, the holiness of God is really just kind of like the wizard of Oz. There's nothing real behind it. It's just a bunch of smoke and puff. Or that's who God is. And if it is, how does that impact the way I gather and worship? Or that I worship myself? How about the fact that it's talking about Jesus? Jesus is that holy. You know, the Chronicles of Narnia, when the little girl says about Aslan, who of course represented Jesus, she said, Is he safe? And of course, Mr. Beaver says, No, of course he's not safe, but he's good. Jesus isn't safe, but he's good to us. The number one issue for us, what we do with it is, you know, if the seraphs respond like that, and if the holy prophet Isaiah responds like that, how in the world do we, simple creatures like we are, how, how do we come before this God? I mean, the, the author of Hebrews, New Testament. He writes, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. He's, that's still God, holy God. Jesus is holy. So Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. And we must, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, it's, how do we stand before a holy God? Well, what happened to Isaiah is he said, one of the seraphim flew to me and he had this burning coal that he had taken with tongs with the altar. In other words, the burning coal was so hot that the fiery one, the burning one, which was the seraph, couldn't even hold it. And he says what? He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Where where the sin was. Behold, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. What did Isaiah do? Nothing. He owned it. He he recognized who he was over and against who God was. God did everything. God sent the seraph, the fiery one with with the burning Whole. And it points to the need, like Bob was talking about, for, for sacrifice, that death is required for any unholy ones who, who come in God's presence, that, that to be atoned for is to have the sin covered, that a ransom is paid. And the, and the judgment that's poured out by God's holiness over and against unholiness, it was poured out in Jesus. That's why John wrote, for God so loved the world. Here's where the love comes in. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That God's love is not apart from his holiness. God's love comes through his holiness. God's love has meaning. God's love wouldn't have any, any meaning. He'd just be Santa Claus, giving out stuff for free. But he doesn't give it out to good girls and boys. He gives it out to bad girls and boys. God's love is conditional. God's love is conditional. you got to know you're a bad girl, bad boy, or you won't get it. If you think you're good, you ain't getting it. It's free to you and me. It's costly to him. To value his love, we've got to see it through. it. because of his holiness. That, that God's love shines because he accomplishes justice. You know, whatever, whatever it is that stirred your appetite for justice, you know, it may have been, depending on how old you are, Perry Mason way back, or Mannix, or Kojak, or Matlock, or L.A. Law, or Law and Order, or NCIS, or Batman, you know, somewhere along the line, something in your heart resonates. Why? Because we all love justice. We yearn for justice. We, we we want retribution for those who do evil. I think it's been a long time. I, sh- I shared uh, when when I was an intern up in Northern Virginia, and my my brother flew out to visit us from Chicago. He was in college, I think, or high school, and his he had a friend that was lived in De- that had moved out to Delaware, and so he had. Uh, flown out and gone to Delaware with his friend, and then we met him, and he came with us in D.C., but he had flown into the Philadelphia airport, so we were driving from northern Virginia up to uh, the uh, Philly airport uh, so he could fly home, and we were driving along one day, and it was eight lanes at that point, four lanes on it going each way, and we were in the third lane go over, uh, and it was pretty heavy traffic. I think it was even a Saturday morning, but it's just, you know, it's 95, so it was real heavy traffic, and um, I noticed that the, this is in the late 80s, uh, the, the car next to us, we were all surrounded by cars, and the car next to us was a, was a Beamer uh, with a couple of, um, oh man, what do you got for, I just forgot what we called them back then, yuppies. We had yuppies next to us, this Beamer. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you how long ago this was. Some of you don't know, it's like, what's a yuppie? You can act, Google, uh, go to Wikipedia. Um, the, and there was a car right in front of them, and they were honking at the car in front of them, because the try to get the car in front of them out of the way. And, of course, I was playing highway vigilante and and not letting him get by by me. And Margaret, in her wisdom, said, you better back off or this guy's going to cut you off. So I, I, in a rare moment, listened to her. And I I backed off. And sure enough, this guy went from the the far left lane, weaving all the way over to the right lane, pulled up a little bit, weaved all the way back over to the left lane in front of that car and took off. And uh, Margaret, my brother, and I were in the car. We were just grumbling, and saying, "Man, what a jerk!" You know, where, where, where's, the, where's the police? The troopers when you want them, and so we were going on like this for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, we—I I looked and I noticed that the car he had been honking at had pulled up more and was up behind him, and the and the rear lights were flashing. And I said, "You know what? I think that was an unmarked car." <laughs> and it was, <laughs> and it was glorious. I mean, just you know, right? That's what we've always wanted. We, we live, we live for justice. It, it hit me as I was in my exaltation. I thought, you know, I'm pretty quick to want other guy justice. Not that I would ever do that, of course, but that, you know, I'm pretty quick to cry for mercy. If, if I'm going to be the, the recipient, that God satisfies justice. The Holy One, who is also the Judge, will satisfy justice. Listen to what the hymn writer Thomas Kelly wrote he said he did it through his son Jesus stricken smitten and afflicted see him dying on the tree tis the Christ by man rejected yes my soul tis he tis he tis the long expected prophet David's son yet David's Lord by his son God now has spoken tis the true and faithful word tell me you hear him groaning. Was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear his cause disowning. They bailed out on him. Foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. The pain on the cross was nothing like the pain of justice. God's holiness on Jesus. He goes on to say if you think of sin but lightly and don't suppose the evil great, here at the cross you may view its nature rightly here its guilt may estimate Mark, look at the sacrifice that was appointed. See who bears the awful load, it's the word the Lord's anointed, the son of man son of God He says, Here we have a firm foundation. Here, the refuge of the lost. Christ's the rock of our salvation. His, the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. Jesus is the place where God exhausted his holy wrath to make us holy. And I, I mean, he's, he's unpacking what Isaiah wrote in, in chapter 53 when he said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the verse before that, it said, we considered him stricken by God. But Isaiah turns around and says, no, it was, it was for our iniquities, for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed spiritually. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's our problem. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that's the purpose of Christmas. Next week we start Advent. God the Father's love, sending his only begotten son to be consumed by his holy wrath as a voluntary substitute for those he was calling to be his children. I mean, you and I, can't, we can't be in God's presence as unholy ones, as tainted. You can't, if, if you're, if you have sin, or you can't be indwelt by his Holy Spirit either. You can't go into God's presence if you're not holy. You couldn't have the Holy Spirit come inside of you. If God poured out the Holy Spirit on you as one who's not holy, what would happen? Poof! It'd be a crispy critter. You'd be consumed. We haven't had Crispy Critters around for a long time. That's a bad reference. I've got to quit using it. Sorry. <laughs> the, Jesus took the burning coal, the fire of, of God, the consuming fire of God's wrath towards sin, and he died in your place. And so if, if, you acknowledge the, the, if you acknowledge how holy God is and how holy Jesus is and embrace how desperate you are in the face of that, and, and you trust that what Jesus did accomplished the problem, it, it, it solved the problem, it brought you close to him, it, he took the wrath that you ought to take, then you're in his family. You have access to him. Well, his, his holiness is so key. And the effect is, the very last verse, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Do you want to motivate yourself? Do you feel like you, you just can't get yourself off the dime to do ministry to serve? You don't do it by grabbing yourself by the neck and going out and do it. You do it by looking at God's holiness and seeing what Jesus has done. Because what it does, it produces a heart that says, here am I, send me. You fall down before him. And you give yourself to him to be spent as, as Isaiah did. Let's pray and ask God to have this ring home in our hearts. Father. You're, you're holy, you're different, you're set apart because we don't know, we don't see, we don't experience holiness like you are. All we can go off is the, 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 by the description. So give us ears to hear it, to receive it, to give us spiritual eyes to see you, to recognize you as that, and hearts that will remember, that will rehearse this, and that in light of who you are in your holiness, that, that you'll give us... A healthy trembling. You tell us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We want to be wise. We need to be wise. We want to be wise enough to to run to Jesus and not be so impressed with ourselves. But to put our hope in you. Thank you that you sent your son out of your love to satisfy your holiness. And we pray this all in, in his name. Amen.